You know what I just realized? I'm not a sniveling little cry Buffy. I don't think that Buffy was sniveling. I'm the nastiest girl in Sunnydale history. Oh, I don't think you're nasty at all. I think you're really sweet. I take crap from no one. Yeah, well, that's true. The bitch is back. <laughs> all right, are you done doing Cordelia roleplay? Just one more. Okay. Back off, Polygrip. <laughs> Great. You got it out of your system now? Get the hell out of my house. Yeah, I'm done now. We can go. Welcome to Still Dead. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm researcher and Southern Fried Scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about Angel Season 1, Episodes 4 and 5, I Fall to Pieces and Room with a View. All right, let's raise the stakes. In I Fall to Pieces, the powers send Angel to protect a woman named Melissa, who's being stalked by a plastic surgeon who can send his body parts out to harass the object of his obsession. When he escalates to killing, Angel leaves Melissa at the office with Doyle and Cordelia and goes after the doctor, who poisons him and goes after Melissa. Luckily, he doesn't know Angel's a vampire, and he recovers just in time to save the day and seals the pieces of this sadistic weirdo in separate metal boxes because, well, it worked for the judge, so why not, right? All right, I Fall to Pieces aired on October 26, 1999. It was directed by Vern Gillum and written by David Greenwald, who was also the showrunner-creator on the show with Joss Whedon. This episode is definitely a skipper, mostly because it's, well, it's not great, and there's nothing established in this episode that's terribly significant later on. So I feel fairly comfortable designating this one as a skipper. Yeah, and it's creepy. It is creepy. It is really creepy. Well, what did you like? What were your moments of perfect happiness, like your favorite lines or moments from the show? Yeah, I, you know, I, I like Andy Umberger, mm-hmm. right? You know, better known for those of us who've been over on the Buffy side of things as DeHoffrin. I won't say anything else, really, because DeHoffrin arrives a little bit later than the concurrent Buffy. We will spoil everything from the first three seasons of Buffy. Whatever's concurrent with where we are in Angel, (laughs) presuming everybody has already seen that. Um, But I don't want to go too much into that. But I do like Andy Umberger is is always fun to see. So so I enjoyed him. I did not realize that was DeHoffrin. Oh, yeah. Well, with all the makeup on DeHoffrin. Yeah. I mean, how could you know? Well, and maybe the voice, but I didn't. Um, And I love Mm -hmm. DeHoffrin, but I really hated the surgeon. Yeah, yeah. Well, Umberger is one of only three actors to pull off a Whedon hat trick to show up on Buffy, Angel, and Firefly. So the hat trick, I only count those shows, anything he's done ever since. That's a different thing. But we have a couple <laughs> of actors who've done this. Uh, Umberger played DeHoffrin, uh, this creep in this episode, and a spaceship captain on Firefly. Uh, Carlos Jacot played Ken who you may remember from Mm -hmm. the beginning of season three in Buffy, the demon kidnapping the kids in Los Angeles. Um, And he played a character, he plays a character in Angel that we're actually going to see in a few episodes. So I'm not going to talk about that yet. And a character named Lawrence Dobson over on Firefly. And the last actor to pull off the hat trick is Jonathan M. Woodward, who played a character in Buffy that shows up in season seven's conversations with dead people. Um, A character that shows up in season five of Angel that we'll talk about when we get there. And a character named Tracy Smith on the 
Firefly episode, The Message. And he was so damn good on all three shows. Oh, I loved oh. him. I loved him. Yeah, he well, not good in the moral sense of the character, but he played the roles incredibly well. Like, he was great. Yeah, yeah. And I liked those characters even when they weren't necessarily, you know, quote unquote, good yeah, characters. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I also like Melissa's speech um, when she tells Ronald off, you know, mm-hmm. she's like, you're weak and I'm not afraid of you anymore. And I found that a very empowering speech. I kind of liked that moment. Um, so I thought that was a good like we gave this character who is, you know, racking up on our list of damsels, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, you know, gave her some agency, gave her some power, gave her a character arc. I thought that was nice. Yeah, I did too. I like some of the humor in this. And even though Doyle Mm -hmm. really pisses us off, um, which we'll talk about in a minute, he did have a couple of, of funny lines in here. So after he got hit with his vision, he said, pen, paper, single malt scotch like right <laughs> i need to write this down and i need a drink exactly <laughs> and i thought that was funny yeah and um then when angel walks out of the office with that long black coat billowing behind him doyle says well maybe i am a little attracted and yeah. i thought maybe that is a small step away from the ridiculous gay panic that we see so often yes no I like that because he can admit that he's attracted to him. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to him. I mean, if you look at David Boreanaz, you look at Angel in his Batman coat. Yeah, you're going to be attracted. And uh, so I like that because we do see a lot of, especially at this at this time, culturally, that was the go-to joke. Like mm-hmm. this was Friends was really big at this time. Chandler, Joey, Ross were constantly making gay panic jokes. Um And then over in Buffy, we've got it quite a bit with Xander, you know, and so to see it here, not subverted, like we're not looking directly at the gay panic. I don't think there was a consciousness of it, but just simply a man admitting that he's attracted to another man and not feeling like they have to jump in with a joke or not that there's anything wrong with that, that there's no panic about it. You know, I actually really kind of like that. Yeah, I did too. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) when... Cordelia was talking to Angel about making clients more comfortable in the office, and he changed into a cream-colored sweater. And I just, it's, first of all, I can't believe he owned a cream-colored sweater. And I was yeah. like, J. Crew Angel is pretty, but he yeah. looks so uncomfortable out of his usual, you know, black on black. It was yeah, just... and I just, I always have to wonder where the funding comes for... Yeah where he lives for what he wears mm-hmm. for like everything like who who is funding angel like where is this money coming from the guy does not work he doesn't charge for the work that he does now that he's actually opened up a business and it's one of these things i just have to let go yeah because we're never going to address that we're never going to it's never going to be like we're never going to know mm-hmm. where the money comes from to suddenly go out shopping <laughs> at j crew and pick up a sweater so yeah. but it did he looked he looked really cute yeah he was good. it was it was fun he's mm-hmm. just a man of mystery Lonnie. we just <laughs> yes he is a man, <laughs> of, a mystery. man of mystery and mystery means definitely yeah. yeah and then cordelia had a couple lines i really liked um when angel was looking at the book that the surgeon you know had signed um Mm -hmm. or the author had signed for the surgeon cordelia Mm -hmm. said did you steal this book and angel's like yeah and cordelia said good right that was really funny like (laughs) yeah (laughs) a stolen book is so handy um yes and then at the very end uh cordelia wants doyle to have another vision so they can get another Mm -hmm. client and she keeps asking him she's trying to figure out how to trigger it 
Right. He's like, if I hit you in the head, would you have a vision? <laughs> Just like that's so Cordelia. You gotta, you gotta do the scientific, you know, experimentation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead and hit him and see what happens, Cordy. Yeah, right. no, there were some good moments in this episode. Um, but I think both of us probably wanted to stake it more than anything else. So, yes. Kelly, what do you have for stake this? Well, I kind of put the whole episode because yeah. this the, the creepy body part imagery, like I had forgotten about I Fall to Pieces. And I think mm-hmm. I must have blocked it out because it made my skin crawl. Yeah. And at first, like I thought Ronald had implanted a camera in Melissa's eye. Mm-hmm. That's how he was right. watching her. And right. Man, I blame mm-hmm. Orphan Black for planning that disturbing idea in my head. Right. But <laughs> when they showed his hands in her bed while she was sleeping, I, like the creep factor was just too high. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, I would have nightmares forever. So, <laughs> yeah. No, that was really horrible. The whole like body parts separating out and like using them is, is gross. And it's distracting in its utter ridiculousness. Like it's it's creepy and it's it's gross and it definitely is, I think, a metaphor for what it feels like when you're being stalked or when you're with somebody who has sociopathic tendencies, you know. There it feels like that, you know. But at the same time, like the visuals of it were patently ridiculous and so much of it is, you know, like I don't I don't understand how that would work. It just doesn't make any sense, you know, Um, because everything, all the body parts have the movement as though they are attached to a much larger organism and yet they're just flopping around on their own. So the whole thing is just kind of crazy. Yeah. And I mean, aggravated stalking is bad enough, right? but psychic surgery is now on my list of like top creepy things. Yeah, no, it is. It is a really, it's a creepy idea. But yeah, the ridiculousness like takes even that element of of creep out of it. Like I don't know, it's just it it makes it just not work for me. Um, but another thing that I wanted to stake in this, and I kind of referenced this a little bit earlier, is like how many damsels do we have now <laughs> at this point? We're in episode four. We've got six damsels rescued, if you include Cordy and Kate. Yeah. In four episodes. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that doesn't even count like. The one at the beginning, you know, the couple of girls at the beginning with Josh Holloway at the beginning of the first episode, you know, um, there it's 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 nuts. Yeah. And I liked Melissa better than the previous mm-hmm. damsels in distress. But yes. the trope is getting old and we're only four episodes in. Yeah, it's like in the beginning of Buffy. Where, you know, there's a certain point where you're like, how many times has Giles been knocked out? Like, let's not go back to the same thing over and over and over again. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, the, the whole, and the damsel thing is going to definitely continue. That's, you know, it's not something we're going to yeah. be, like, giving up anytime soon. But it is something to have a consciousness of because the role that women play for the most part, especially in the early parts of Angel, is the, you know, the the damsel that the the bad guy, you know, is hurting and, and the angel has to rescue. And I understand the angel is the, you know, the hero and everything. And it it may not be so bad. It would still be bad in this context because it really is egregious. But I mean, like it, a lot of these things, they, they get this bad and they, they get this annoying because 
it is something we revisit culturally over and over and over again, like the gay panic. Mm-hmm. You know, we you do it culturally over and over and over again. That sends a very clear message about the helplessness of women and about the essential wrongness of homosexuality, both of which are bullshit. Um, so when you see that message over and over and over again, and it's just kind of silently sitting there with nobody questioning it, that's when that becomes a problem. So it's, it's a problem in Angel, but it's also a part of a much, much bigger problem culturally in our storytelling, which is why it bugs me so much um the other thing that we got here which did not age well is cordy uses a very dehumanizing word i'm sure she's very sorry i'm sure that david greenwald who wrote this episode regrets it um but it was incredibly uncomfortable in the moment and it 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 just was such a bad note yeah that was all kinds of awful and i despise that word so i was shocked to hear it and just really disappointing that they included it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, at the time, the consciousness of it, you know, people weren't conscious of what a terrible word it is. And so I'm, I'm grateful that now it's so bad that, you know, you hear it and it, you can't miss it, you yeah. know, but yeah, it's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's really uncomfortable. And it's one of these things that like makes me think less of Cordy. Um, and Cordy's amazing. I love Cordy. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to let it go. It was it was an accident. It's not <laughs> part of her character. And we're going to move forward with that. Um, we also had some forgettable Kate moments. And I have since forgotten them <laughs> because I'm really good at forgetting the things that I absolutely hate. Um, I get that Angel needed a cop. Like the, the, the series of Angel needed a cop to provide some of the information that he's going to need to be a private detective. He's going to need somebody who can do the research. He's going to need somebody who can get access to information that he wouldn't be able to get access to. Plus, no noir story is complete without the cops. I mean, but usually their role in noir is to just be bad guys pretending to be good, you know, completely corrupted and illustrating how pervasive that corruption is and, and how pointless the fight is. And yet Angel is the good man who will absolutely fight it. And Angel being, of course, you know, as a vampire, the very definition of corruption has this nice little irony Mm -hmm. to it, you know, um, when you're talking about noir, which I really like. But Kate is just kind of an asshole, you know, and the whole thing, you're either here to ask me out or ask for a favor. Who says that? I mean, that is the most awful, awkward thing. And why? And I I, I don't I don't understand that. Yeah, I think she's still pissed about Angel turning her down at the singles bar. Or yeah. she's perpetually grumpy, or narcissistic, yeah. or petty, or annoying, or all of the above. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think the problem with Kate is that she's not an actual character. She is like this amalgamation of feminine quirks and mysteries, you know, that like, you can't understand her because nothing in her makes sense and nothing is consistent. We actually will get throughout the run of, a- of Angel one or two moments where Kate's an actual character, but it doesn't happen very often. And usually she's just kind of like this cardboard stand in for, you know, the mysterious feminine that we can't understand her because she's a girl and she's a cop. And it's like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's all, it's all terrible. Yeah. And the thing about a good mystery is that you want to solve it. And with Kate, I just don't care. I just want her to go away. Right. Just just make her yeah, go away. Just, and that is only going to get worse yes. as we move forward. <laughs> yeah. And she had one line in here that I think they were trying to write as like a good line for her. She yeah. said, he took this girl's power away and nobody can get it back for her but her. But the problem mm-hmm. is, 
empowerment is not a simple thing that you just choose to feel when you're in danger. Yeah. Right? Like Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we have to have safety before we can reach belonging and then we reach esteem. So to be Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, she's just going to be believe that she's stronger than he is while this dude is cutting his body apart and coming after her. Like, right. And breaking into her right. house and it, yeah, killing cops. Yeah. yeah. And and so I'm like, so not only does she have to endure being stalked, but she's now responsible for making herself feel better? Like I, Yeah. No. Yeah, Just, no, it's not good. I like that you bring Maslow's hierarchy because absolutely, that's right. Her essential safety is being threatened. Mm-hmm. This is not the time for personal empowerment. This is the time for like, you know, securing her safety. Yep. And then she can work on those other right. things, you know, but that's what happens during healing, not when you're actively being re-traumatized. Exactly. Not while the dude is still yeah. out there stalking you. Like Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. So research mode. What do you got here? What are your unanswered questions? Okay. So Angel seems to be out a lot during the day. And and, and, <laughs> and like this keeps happening. And I'm wondering, does every single place have underground parking? It, like, what? And he walks in front of a lot of sunlit windows. So mm-hmm. I'm just not sure how that works with vampires who tend to burst into flames when exposed to sunlight. Well, I mean, I think that their argument is that he's never in the direct sunlight, that dispersed sunlight is okay, but it's direct sunlight that has a problem. And my personal headcanon is that he walks around twirling a lovely little parasol like the (laughs) women in the 1900s used to use to protect themselves. And he's got these dainty little gloves that he Mm -hmm. wears, you know, to protect him from. But I but I wonder, though. Yeah, because is it skin? Like, is it sun on the skin? If you're wearing, like, clothes, doesn't that block the sun? Yeah. The way that, I don't know, a curtain would, right? What is the difference between a curtain blocking the sun five feet away from you and a leather jacket blocking the sun? So I guess it's just only his skin. If his skin makes contact with the sun. So why don't vampires just walk around, you know, in balaclavas? And right. And slap <laughs> twirling parasols. Yeah, lots and lots of sunscreen. Like... <laughs> Yes. And Angel's parasol Absolutely. can be any color as long as it's black. Mm-hmm. There's got to be like scientist vampires. Yeah. You know, you eat a scientist, you get them working <laughs> for your team, figure this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> Seems pretty simple and direct to me. Um, my unanswered question essentially comes back to what I was talking It's a floating hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, okay, before we start applying any sense of reality to this, we have to concede this is a magical universe. But how the hell do his body parts have physical power and momentum to kill anybody? It's a floating freaking hand. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have how strong is your hand? <laughs> it doesn't have like it weighs, I don't know, five ounces, maybe. I don't know how much your average hand weighs. I'm not really sure. But I think that a cop could be able to like bat it away. Now, granted, yes, exactly. It's a magical universe. This is psychic surgery. If he's able to make his hand float, maybe he's also able to give it the re- the power of the rest of his body, the physical, you know, momentum of that. But I don't know. I have kids who are in physics now, so I'm starting to ask these questions. <laughs> you know? And the floating eyeball, you know, fine, because the floating eyeball is just about seeing things. And, and the fact that I'm even 
throwing this out there as a reality question, when we're talking about floating eyeballs that function, when we're talking about floating hands that can crawl up into <laughs> our bed, like, I mean, I realize that we are, we are talking about a universe in which, you know, shit is weird, right? You know, but I don't know. I just, I don't understand what's powering the hand. Like as Buffy would say, what is it? Raw enthusiasm, <laughs> you know? Um, and how does he prevent damage to body parts when they're separated from him and out doing his evil bidding? I mean, right. He's got to be breaking nails right? and stuff. And, I mean, and like <laughs> the optic nerve is delicate. So like one curious mm-hmm. cat in the wrong place, <laughs> Ronald's going to be blind and in serious pain. Like, oh my God. If she had if a she cat, had a cat like, and you just saw the cat walking yeah. around with the hand and the like, fingers are like wiggling, yeah. that would have been mean, funny. I mean, I understand not not in theme yeah. with this with this show, but it would have been yeah, funny. But it's a hell of a risk he's taken. That's all I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> no, really. So when we're brooding on this episode, I would say the only thing to keep from this is that the client paid up. So mm-hmm, maybe right. we can stop trying to figure out how in the hell Angel affords rent on that place, let alone two additional salaries. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we get the name of Wolfram and Hart um, and some exposition about the firm being incredibly evil and representing the worst kinds of villains. Um, mm-hmm. But we still could have skipped the episode and gotten that information later. <laughs> right, right. So for all of you who didn't watch this episode and followed our very, very sage advice, then uh, then there you go. Basically, that's, that's what you get. That's all you yep. need. <laughs> in Room with a View, Cordy's apartment becomes unbearable, and she moves in with Angel until she can find a better place. Meanwhile, Doyle's past catches up with him as the demons he owes money to come after him looking to collect or leave him in pieces on the floor. Angel agrees to help him with his problem if Doyle helps him with his by finding Cordy a new place to live. Doyle finds Cordy a spacious flat in a great neighborhood at a price she can afford, but of course there's a catch. It's haunted by a woman who killed her son and sealed him up in the brick wall. Unwilling to give up her new pad, Cordy claims her inner bitch and defeats the mom, the peaceful ghost of Dennis, whose earthly remains are still boarded up in the wall. Room with a View aired on November 2nd, 1999. It was directed by Scott McGinnis and written by Jane Epsonson. We deemed this one a watcher because we get Cordy's new apartment and we meet Phantom Dennis, who's basically a recurring character for the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. And so Phantom Dennis, I think, is, you know, is a big deal. We're going to mm-hmm. be uh, we're going to be visiting with Dennis quite a bit throughout the run of the series. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, it's it's nice to see Cordy get into her apartment and kind of claim her inner bitch, which I thought was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moments of perfect happiness. What you got? So I really liked it at the beginning when Angel tricks Doyle. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells him there's a big guy waiting for you upstairs. And of course, Doyle tries to run out of the building and Angel Angel intercepts him. So Mm -hmm. Angel's trying to learn more about Doyle's problems and motivations, and he offers to help him at the end. And I like Angel in sweet, helpful... I'll kick someone's yeah. ass on your behalf mode. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's the family thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because they have become a family for each other and family looks out for each other. And so Angel is going to try to look out for Doyle, which I really kind of like. Yeah. I think it's nice. Me too. Um, 
I also think we had a great uh, a great line from Angel when he was talking about Cordy when when Doyle was you know grilling him for information on Cordelia um, because this is pre Facebook when you could just stalk somebody on your own time you know <laughs> and uh, and Angel says it was like the Soviet secret police if they cared a lot about shoes <laughs> <laughs> and I mean I love this for a lot of reasons one it's a funny line. But too, like, I like this broader world awareness that Angel has, which we would expect from somebody who has lived for 200 years, has watched history play out, you know, for that long, and has never, to the extent of my knowledge anyway, held down an actual job. (laughs) So like, what else is he going to do? But just fascinate himself with like the political movements of of people. It's got to be really, really fascinating. So, so I kind of I liked I liked it both because it was a funny line and because it gave us kind of a broader context for Angel and the kinds of things that he is both aware of and thinking about. I think you're underestimating how much time Angel spends brooding. Oh, yes. You know, because that's got to cut into his daily schedule. (laughs) It does. It takes a lot of time. And also the hair gel. Like, I understand that. That takes Mm -hmm. a lot of time, too. Um, I also really like kind of the round robin motivation that we had going here. Like, Cordelia has a problem. Doyle has a problem. And Angel has a problem. And they all have to help each other. (laughs) They all have to kind of, like, swirl it around there. So um, I liked that for for the structure of the episode and for the structure of the motivation. I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, I did, too. Um, I like Cordelia's instinct about the wall like she Mm -hmm. instantly knows it doesn't belong in the apartment and she wants to tear it down although Mm -hmm. I don't think she has a lot of experience with landlords because generally when you're renting an apartment you're not allowed to rip the walls down Um, but then at the end she was like I knew I didn't like that wall and I just (laughs) I really liked kind of seeing her instincts you know played out so Mm -hmm. clearly um and I really, I like the the little quippy one-liners that we get from Angel sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when Angel's in Doyle's place, which I'm assuming he had been invited to previously. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of looking for evidence of what's going on with Doyle. And that debt collecting demon shows up and he and Angel fight a whole bunch. And, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, kind of come to terms and Angel says, good meeting. Yes. Like, I just. I really like that. That's my angel. Yes. This is the angel that I love. Like, you know, broody, you know, like, you know, I'm just going to be here alone in the dark angel. I hate that guy. Like he, I, well, I don't hate him, but he gets annoying after a while. Mm-hmm. But I love quippy angel. I love angel when he's, when he's defending somebody he loves, he gets angry, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's really good. It's a really good angel. And I like it a lot. Um, I also really enjoyed the actress who played Maude Pearson. <laughs> this is Beth Grant. Um, who some of you might remember from the Mindy Project. She played Bev, <laughs> the okay. constantly drunk and or high sort of nurse at the um, at the OBGYN office where Mindy worked. Um, and she's really, really funny. She's got fantastic comic timing. Um, I've seen her in a lot of shows, and I always think she's really fun. So it was kind of fun. I mean... I don't see her very often. She's usually a, a comedic actress, so you don't mm-hmm. see her very often playing something like this. But I think she did a good job. Yeah, she was she was disturbing. Yeah, as as, as Maud Pearson, the mom who puts her <laughs> son in the yeah. wall. I'm gonna brick you up. I'll cast right. in the Montiato, but it's for your own good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I also really loved Cordy's speech to Angel about what the apartment means to her sense of self, that if she gets to keep the apartment, somehow she's redeemed for being so mean when she was in high school. Um, And I both liked this and didn't believe it um, because we don't 
we don't play much on Cordy's sense of guilt. We we reference it very lightly a couple of times in this episode. Actually, her sense of guilt only once. You know, mm-hmm. we we reference that she was a mean girl. You know, we have the Soviet secret police line from from Angel kind of giving that history to Doyle so that the the viewer also knows that Cordy used to be a mean girl. If for some reason you're watching Angel and hadn't seen all of Buffy, which I, I'm sure it happened once or twice. <laughs> and um so, I mean, I kind of like that. I like that Cordy's wrestling with her sense of self. I like that Cordy, you know, the idea, I guess I like the idea of Cordy feeling like she's being punished for being mean, mm-hmm. um, except a couple of things. One, she was a mean girl in the very beginning of Buffy. But as time went by, she really wasn't. She was part of the Scoobies. She was very cool. She was very smart. She was, she played the role of the truth teller, you know, um, in those early seasons. Um, And she was part of the team. She wasn't really a mean girl for most of the time that we've known Cordelia. So she really has nothing to feel bad about. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I liked the idea of her looking at her life, looking what happened to her. You know, she had all this money. Then her parents, you know, their lives fell apart. Of course, so did hers. And now she doesn't have anything. And how, you know, dire circumstances really make you question yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. so I like that she's questioning herself. I don't like that that question is validated rather than negated. That she is, you know, she's like, I'm a bitch. No, you're not, Cordy. You're actually really fair you're Mm -hmm. fair and you're smart you tell the truth but she's not really a bitch so I liked it a lot but I didn't feel like it was accurate what did you think about that well I started thinking about it and and you're right like she Mm -hmm. was the main girl for a while but that's not really what you remember about Cordy yeah um and that's not what she became she grew past that in, in the early seasons of Buffy and and she's you know very brave and capable Mm -hmm. and she just doesn't have time for politeness or other people's bullshit Mm -hmm. but I kind of saw it as more of like her vulnerability related to her sense of self Mm -hmm. in terms of her value being reflected back to her by what she's around and so she grew up you know very wealthy and she had you know the nice car and all the clothes and she was used to this sort of reflection of her worth like she was incredibly confident you know Mm -hmm. and she saw that reflected back in what she owned and what was around her and how she lived yeah and so I think that her actual environment really ties into her sense of self oh interesting yeah because you know when she's in that terrible apartment that's full of cockroaches and I can't Mm -hmm. even like oh my god oh my god no oh my god like (laughs) we see her it's she keeps it messy yeah, she doesn't clean it up. She's it's it's like this. Um, she feels down and hopeless, and so when her environment is reflecting a low sense of worth, yeah. it makes her feel like she's not worthy. And and then she's trying to climb back into this space that she's more comfortable with, or that she thinks reflects her real self. And she's got this ghost kind of saying, "Hey, you know what?" you're a fraud and we see through you and that's why you don't deserve nice things. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was playing more into her insecurities and her, you know, kind of this broken sense of self that she had. But I think that she, she fought so hard for that apartment because the environment that she sees reflected back to her for Cordy really represents her sense of self. I love that. That is such a great insight. And she knows who she is. Yes. Like that's what we have. We have a little bit of a wobble, 
you know, mm-hmm. where she's not sure who she is, but then she claims herself. And I like that a lot. I think that's yeah. good. Me too. I liked it. And and when she does kind of claim that and you see her like this, the switch is hit and she's back to being Cordy mm-hmm. and she kind of yells at the ghost mod, you know, yeah. <laughs> get ready to haul your wrinkly translucent ass out of this place. Cause lady, the bitch is back. And right. like, I like her finding power from being called a bitch because yes. we normally use that word to tear women down or to try to keep them in line. But mm-hmm. for Cordy, it strengthened her in that moment. And I liked that. I like that too. I thought that was really nice. Yeah, that was good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So what, what, Dr. Jones, are you going to stake in this oh. episode? Oh my God. Roaches? <laughs> like, I can't, oh, I can't even stand right. looking at them. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, it, it, ugh, it was awful. Yeah. Um, Doyle jumping to conclusions about Cordelia and Angel sleeping together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought was, and, and his reaction to that was also disgusting. Well, um, it's, it's so entitled. Yeah. Like he had, he had a crush on her. So therefore he claimed her. So Angel couldn't have her. And exactly where does Cordelia get a choice in any of this? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, that was just, that was just bad. Yeah. Um, the peanut butter on the bed joke, I thought was, yeah. it. first of all, it makes no sense because mm-hmm. Angel doesn't eat. And then I'm like, did Cordy bring peanut butter with her? Like I just <laughs> moment well she had a lot of bags i imagine there might have been food in some of them right right but i just or maybe that's what angel keeps around for entertaining he doesn't understand so he's like okay a little bit of peanut butter (laughs) (laughs) a couple of apples right that'll do it that'll that'll be fine you want coffee or milk because i don't have those things like i don't have any (laughs) right exactly no coffee but there's peanut butter yes but Cordelia is like the worst house guest in history. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think they played that too far. Like cutting yeah. up Angel's floor. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Well, no. The floor made me nuts for a number of reasons. Mostly because the floor is polished concrete. Right? Like that's a nice floor. Mm-hmm. And then we have one little square of the crappiest ass linoleum <laughs> that is not connected to any walls. Like it is, if you look at it, there is a little square and it's got the little edging on it just in the middle of the kitchen, right? Why would anybody put a little crappy piece like square of linoleum over? Like that doesn't make any sense. On top of which the rest of the floor is polished concrete. If there's well, hardwood under that, it's under the concrete. <laughs> okay, but the linoleum, I have to tell you. Yes. I have this, like, really cute headcanon that they got this from your Lucy March books. Okay. And it, it's a magic square. It's a it's little a magic square <laughs> that's where, linoleum. That's where Angel stands and makes his wishes. Uh, <laughs> like, I well, was cracking up about that. That's very like, sweet. Oh, 12 years before I wrote that book, but no. Yeah, (laughs) he's got a Cousin Betty linoleum square in his kitchen. Crazy Cousin Betty's magic linoleum. There you go. (laughs) No, I like that. That that actually makes it a little bit better for me. If there was a magical reason for that, but the idea that she would (laughs) be looking for hardwood, like nothing about it makes any sense. It's all ridiculous, but it's funny. You know, it's funny in the moment. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. What else you got to say? You know, basically for me, it was Doyle. Yeah. Doyle's crush on Cordelia, his incredible sense of entitlement. Um, you know, I was crazy about her and I was wearing her down to I was wearing her down. 
Yeah, that I just like wanted to throw my remote at Doyle's head because if you have to wear someone down, you're looking for romance in the wrong place and you're doing it without any respect for the other person. Or for yourself. Yeah. Why do you want to be with somebody that you have to wear down in order for them to want to be with you? That's ridiculous. Like, yeah, I don't know the whole thing. And it's his entitlement was making me crazy but what else what are the other things you're going to stake in this episode well this actually made me really really sad Mm -hmm. um and I know I understand like if there's a ghost in the episode and this was filmed a long time ago Mm -hmm. and there was a movie called ghost but Cordelia's joke about Patrick Swayze being dead Mm -hmm. just made me want to cry it is very sad I think this was before he died right oh yeah yeah it was but like when you write something like that, it's not going to age well. Right, and because eventually that person is going to be dead. <laughs> right. And I just, oh, I know, it's sad. so sad. Um, sad. And, and then Ghost Maud impersonating Angel on the phone to lure Cordelia back home felt very Little Shop of Horrors. Sure. To sure, me. I can see that. <laughs> Ghost mod is learning from Audrey, too. That's and, right. That's like, right. how did she do that? How did she pick up the phone How like and dial the... How did she know the number to the Ghost office? Ghost in the machine. I think right? she just got in the wires, man. <laughs> like, I know. And this is the thing. Like, I always have these questions. And then I'm like, okay, it's a magical universe. Like, yeah, vampires but- exist. This is obviously not a documentary. And yet sometimes, like, these little things are like wait a minute, there's got to be rules. Like, but that's the thing. Like, if you've got a ghost that has no rules and no limitations, you know, it, it gets outside of reality a little bit. So you're like, well, right. wait a minute. Right. right. And I'm like, okay, I accept the ghost. <laughs> right. You know, I, I accept the ghost. I accept the ghost. Or she can her... lift her bed up off of, I mean, I guess that right. she can, she can manifest physical influence. So, I guess. but, but, is are they listed in the phone book? Like, right? how, like I mean, come on! At some I don't know. point, I just I don't well, know. Well, maybe maybe Cordelia left one of the business cards there. I don't know. Oh yeah, and then Maud picked it up and said, oh, and then Maud picked it up. And, <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah, I, I just yeah. I don't know. But then I got kind of tickled thinking about Little Shop of Horrors. So yeah, yeah, that's fun. It was okay, <laughs> but I felt terrible for poor Dennis. Like, being bricked up in the wall by his own mother, and then the coincidence of her having a heart attack at the exact second that she finished sealing him in, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, wait a minute. He's not dead yet, so his spirit didn't kill her. Yeah. And if she feels regret over killing her son to the point that it made her heart stop, why did she become such a vengeful spirit and harass or kill everyone who moved into the apartment? And why was Dennis able to destroy Maud only after his body was discovered? If he could possess someone and have them tear open the wall, why did he wait so long? And right. the only answer she can, I could she come can up with. Up beds, like, she can dial right. phone numbers, but he's like, I'm still stuck in this wall. Yeah, he's like, I don't, maybe I, I, he doesn't realize that he can move maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe it was Cordy claiming her inner bitch that made Dennis realize that the only thing holding him back was himself. Which is why we must set examples for each other when it comes to empowerment. That's right. <laughs> but I was like, really, dude? I mean, <laughs> you just now figured out that you can possess somebody and tear up right. that you've wall? Right. You've or... been watching your mother force people to commit suicide for decades. Right. <laughs> like, but, you haven't you know, done anything about it until uh, now. Uh, Fair enough. Know. Fair yeah. enough. What was the magical ingredient? It was Cordy. 
you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, I don't know. But I just, <laughs> it kept pulling me. When I'm writing notes like that, it pulls yeah. me out of the story. And I don't want to get pulled out of the story. I know. So. I know. Well, that pulls us into research mode, right? We're already kind of a little bit into research mode because I went off on the linoleum, which makes absolutely <laughs> no sense to me. <laughs> so what else do you have in research mode? So Doyle still seems pretty shady. Mm-hmm. How did he end up being the conduit for the powers that be? Yeah. But, but more importantly... Why the hell didn't they send him a vision about Cordelia's murdering ghost right. or the demons who were after Doyle? Because, like, that ghost killed lots of people over many years, yeah. including her own son. Mm-hmm. That seems vision-worthy to me. Right, right. But the powers that be are mysterious. We can't understand them. You know, yeah. and like that's that's the excuse we use for when they do things that don't make sense, because these are like, you know, let's look at it. So you've got a business, right? You're the powers that be. Your business is capital G good, right? It's like <laughs> saving people or whatever. So you got a couple people who work for you and you know everything, but you're not going to give them a heads up about the things that affect them directly. Right. Because like if that debt collecting demon had killed Doyle powers that be would lose their vision would have lost their connection right did they just take the week off like powers that be or at a conference and they're you know learning how to be or sometimes maybe they're like maybe they're they're using some kind of mystical cell phone service that has bad (laughs) towers where they are they just couldn't that the only time that they send the visions the only time that doyle gets visions is when they have those rare moments of connectivity you know, obviously they're with like T-Mobile or something, right? You yeah. Know? They're so, out in a yeah. different dimension saying, can right, you hear me exactly. now? They're, they're on can the Sprint network. Now? So they got nothing, right? <laughs> so I don't know. Those kind of questions just bug me. So what about you? What what puts you in research mode? Oh, God. You know what? Honestly, it's all the same stuff. It's like, it's 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 Angel's house. It's he, concrete floors, an office upstairs, all of this stuff, all of which he got before he actually started the business, the business for which he does not charge, except for one lady last week, who I guarantee did not pay him enough to buy those leather chairs that she put her <laughs> wet towels on. And so... <laughs> As a, like, and I don't know why. And it's so like, I just need to drop it because it doesn't matter. But it drives <laughs> me crazy. I guess because I'm a homeowner now. Like when I was younger, you know, when I was like, oh, okay, so Angel's got this great, you know, he's got this mansion in Sunnydale. Like what, what, what how? You know, like none of that makes any sense to me. Okay. So, so headcanon. Yes. All right. We know Angel is really good at drawing. Yes. And sketching. So maybe he has a secret alternate persona where he has like his own gallery shows every once in a while. And he doesn't tell anybody because it would cut into the whole Batman image. But he taps into that sensitive, tormented artist and he makes just enough money off selling his art and, you know, brooding notes that he can fund the rest of his life. You know, like, I mean, because the thing is, like, the other vampires, I get it. They're killing people. They're stealing their money. Right. But Angel doesn't do that. So, like, the other vampires who are living high off the hog, I get it. Because they're they're going, they're getting access to that by nefarious means. Like, that makes sense to me. But unless Angel is killing people on the regular and like, going <laughs> through, you know, when he when he kills other vampires. Okay, so my guess is 
before he dusts the vampires, which of course dusts all of their clothing and their money and their personal possessions, he mugs them first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's how he gets his money, which is, <laughs> you know, one step away because of course that vampire got their money by stealing it from people they killed, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's very complicated, but like, okay. where is he getting leather chairs? So maybe in that apartment that he has that's uh-huh. so tastefully decorated. Yes. There's one closet that you're not yeah. allowed to open. And Angel has been hoarding <laughs> things from like the last 200 years in there. And every so often he like pawns them. And, (laughs) you know, like, they're really old. Or he's like, you know, this belonged to General So-and-so at this war, and it gets enough money off of it. So, like... Right, you hold on to something long enough, you can pawn it and make some money with that. So, I guess that that's a thing, too, is that he has time to go to Antiques Roadshow. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Angel is a secret antiquer, and he doesn't want anyone to know. (laughs) Oh, well, you know what? That actually makes a little more sense to me, because the rest of it just doesn't... it's one of these things that I can't help it. Every every episode, I'm like, where did he get leather chairs? Like, <laughs> and it's it's annoying to me. So anybody out there listening who's really annoyed by the fact that I keep coming back to this, like, I'm annoyed too. I'm trying, I'm really trying. <laughs> but that's that's pretty much my entire research mode. Of course, that puts us back to one to brood on. So room with a view. It's significant because it shows us Cordy's new apartment. We're going to be spending some time there. Something she couldn't have possibly afforded if it didn't come with a ghost named Dennis and a murderous ghost mod who was killing all the people who rented the apartment. <laughs> um, and we're going to see Dennis, you know, often uh, insert himself in her business, you know, from here on out. Um, and the episode really isn't a bad episode. I mean, it's a pretty good episode. It's not like I fall to pieces. I fall to pieces <laughs> terrible. So we made Room with a View a watcher because I think it's worth watching. I think it's it's fun. And while there are certain things that don't entirely make a ton of sense, overall, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I think so, too. So I like good. that, too. All right. So between these two episodes, Kelly, what is your favorite part? So I'm a fan of Phantom Dennis as Cordy's roommate. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I really like Phantom Dennis, and I like that she calls him Phantom Dennis instead of yes, Dennis. I'm just Dennis, <laughs> you know. And and I kind of like the she's completely comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like this is my roommate. I don't see him much. He's mm-hmm. like sliding stuff around. She's like Dennis, put that back. And it's just a really <laughs> cute dynamic. Um, and I it like is. how his I like how his character develops you know, yeah. later on in the show. Mm-hmm. So what about you? What was your favorite part? Oh, when Cordy claims her bitchiness to mm-hmm. Maude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You notice both of us, our favorite parts are not from I Fall to Pieces, both are from no. Room of You, because I Fall to Pieces has no favorite parts. But I like, I like when she claims her inner bitch. I like when mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, you know what? I'm tough. Nobody's going to mess with me. You know, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I think so too. Well, that wraps us up for episode two of Still Dead. I know. To join in the discussion on Twitter, you can follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Still Dead. But the best place for all the great discussion is on the Patreon Discord chat. Just $1 a month of support gets you in with some of the smartest angel geeks around. Yes, and this episode of Still Dead was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Erica. Erica supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. So thank you, Erica, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes everything we do possible. 
Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a Still Dead producer. And if you don't feel like throwing us a buck, throw us a bone. Go to Apple Podcast and give us a great review. We'll be back next time with episodes six and seven of Angel Season 1, Sense and Sensitivity, and The Bachelor Party. These are both skippers, but Sense and Sensitivity is especially bad. I think it may actually be the worst episode. It may of be Angel. the worst episode of Angel. It may be the worst. Yeah. So if you're planning on watching anyway, well, you were warned. And <laughs> maybe we need an Angel drinking game. Like yeah. either a damsel in distress drinking game or Kate has become even more annoying drinking game. Right, right. Just be very, very careful about what you're drinking because the annoying Kate <laughs> at the, like, drinking game Little could, get you, could Little land sips. you in the hospital. I'm just saying. All right. So until next time, we're like the Soviet secret police if they cared a lot about shoes. And we're still dead. Still dead.